And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Audible is presented by Trader Joe's. Discover more about Trader Joe's by listening to their podcast, Inside Trader Joe's, available wherever you get your podcasts. Go get Trader Joe's tuna fish. It is the best tuna I've ever had. I eat it almost every day for lunch. There you go. That's your Bruce Feldman Trader Joe's tip of the week. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman. This time we are not recording in the middle of the night after the national championship game. Um, Bruce, the transfer portal is pretty much the dominant topic in college football right now. It is constantly spinning. And we have our own in-house expert, Max Olson, coming on to talk about it. Nobody better than Max. He is immersed in the portal in, I mean, it's amazing to follow him and just how much stuff is cycling out. And so we're going to dig into the weeds and also do some big picture stuff with him. All right. So let's get to Max. And then when we come back from the interview, we will answer your emails. All right, Bruce, our friend Max Olson is here. He is the athletics transfer portal guru. He's following it. He's tracking it. He does his 25 best available players. And uh, Max, just you and I text about this stuff all the time. Stu, before we get into this, Portal Authority Guru, I think Portal Authority is the best way to go with it. Credit to Andy Staples. Is that an Andy one, Max? Yeah, it's an Andy one. He he put out a call to uh, to, to folks on Twitter, and I, I guess he, he felt very strongly that's the best one. So I have no choice but to, but to accept it. It sounds a little bit too much like the bus station, but uh, we, can, we can run with it. Um, but yeah, th- this... I felt like last summer I had a pretty good handle on the most notable names, Kenneth Walker, um, Charlie Brewer, although that didn't pan out. But right now, this year, it's just dizzying. How are you, How do you keep up with it? Like, what are your, give us a little window into your work process here. Because, like, there's been a lot where I'm like, you know, big names, like, or notable names. I'm like, when did that happen? Yeah, it, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's it, it it's fun. First of all, like I, I, have a lot, I have a lot of people say to me like, oh, man, you must be tired of this stuff. It, you, it must be killing you. It's like, mm, I think this is pretty fun. I, I think that having some semblance of free agency in this sport um, has, has made December and January, which was already a, a recruiting heavy time in the sport. But I, I think it's made it a little bit more exciting. I understand why there's definitely some coaches and probably some fan bases that don't find this very exciting because they're losing players and they think that, um, you know, this, this is all kind of a slippery slope to, to, you know, really messing up the sport or whatever. But um, certainly I think we're reaching the point now, like you guys have heard for years, coaches talk about like, Oh, this transfer portal is, um, you know, a really big problem and stuff. I I think we've reached the point where like you kind of, there's no point in kind of sitting around and complaining about it. Like you need to get in there and go get some players. Now, if you're losing guys, you kind of need to, uh, you know, get as good as you give when it comes to this stuff now, because, um, certainly it has, you know, uh, 
there, there's just so many players out there now and there's so many scholarship players and there's uh, certainly a few different reasons for that um you know with with the um you know the eligibility freeze and, and a lot of super seniors out there there's a ton of those guys that are in the portal um for you know it's one year pickups but um there's a lot of things that have gone into how we've gotten this far but certainly we're just seeing so many players right now wanting to bet on themselves and and whether that's because they're not getting enough playing time or whatever, um, you know, wanting to uh, make a move and getting a ton of offers and having a crazy recruitment and all that stuff. And so it's been a lot of fun to keep up with every day um, and, and keep an eye on the portal. And, and then you have to follow all these guys and turn on alerts for their tweets and stuff because they're tweeting out offers or visits or whatever. And, um, you know, it, the one thing that, uh, that a coach told me a couple of weeks ago that I thought was true is – you know, the, a lot of in a lot of ways, this is just like recruiting the the actual process of it. Except that recruiting is usually like you spend one to two years on a kid, and now recruiting for players in the portal takes two weeks. Hmm. Max, how much is your process like? Where either you you see somebody's actually in the portal, and then you follow them both on Twitter, and, and I assume they're, they're on Instagram, Instagram now, now too. Yeah, you have to kind yeah. of keep up with that. Yeah. So you're jump. Do you have somewhere in your house? Maybe it's in the maybe it's in the baby's room. A huge whiteboard with names of people who are in Sharpie who are written with like, okay, here are the schools that they that they are either following or the coaches who now are all of a sudden are following this kid. Um, like, so how are you tracking this in terms of? Because a lot of this stuff is is so so volatile in terms of like. You know, there's guys you hear that are going to go someplace and then all of a sudden it's like, well, who knows if they're going to go go there? Because it's not like it's it's just so freewheeling at this point. Yeah. You know, I think part of it. So in, in doing the the top 25, um, which we've, we've now narrowed it down to a top 20 because these guys are starting to commit. And now, you know, we're, as we're getting to class time now. Um, it's time to get on campus and, and get out of the portal. But, um, you know, a lot of big old spreadsheet, big master spreadsheet. If it ever got deleted, I would lose my mind probably um, of, of just keeping track of guys like you, you see when players go in the portal, they're kind of they're either going up or down. Right. They're either going to, you know, if they're a uh, power five guy that didn't get much playing time probably a decent chance that unless they were a big recruit or have big potential or whatever, had, had one good year or something, they're probably going down to a group of five program or maybe even an FCS one. Um, in putting this top 25 together, you're kind of trying to find the guys that are going up, the, the guys that, um, whether they're FCS players or group of five players, that um, as soon as they go in, they're going to have all these offers. I think we've even seen some you know freshman players uh, at the power five level who go in, uh, like Makai Wingo from Missouri, who has one good season there, and then all of a sudden – everybody in the country wants him, And he was a three-star guy a year ago, right? So it's hard to kind of predict sometimes which ones are going to blow up and which ones aren't. But I think if you follow it long enough, you kind of start to get a sense of this is a player that has, has either maybe their position of need, they have good measurables, they have good production. You can kind of start to take a guess on who's, who's going to want to go after these, these guys. And, but yeah, I've got a spreadsheet here of like, you're looking at players that, you know, maybe could make the top 25, I think 145 of them have now committed. So like there's, there's probably 200, uh, you know, 200, 250 names on that thing. And, and that's out of, you know, more than a thousand scholarship players that are in there. So um, it's, it does just because a player goes in, doesn't mean he's automatically going to get a ton of offers and go to a better school and stuff. But um, we're trying to kind of keep track of the ones that you feel like uh, have a chance to blow up. And it, it is crazy this year, especially with um, all the coaching changes that have happened uh, this year, how that's affecting, um, a lot of schools like, you know, LSU or USC or Florida 
trying to take a lot of players out of the portal. So is our assumption that, you know, you mentioned it's it's kind of getting to the to crunch time here in terms of if you want to get enrolled at your new school and, and start classes, you got to do that here pretty soon, if not already. Is it our, is it your assumption that this craziness will die down for a couple months and then we'll go through another round of this after spring practice? I, I think so. I think that there's probably, we're probably getting close to, you know, by the end of the month here, a lot of these guys that, you know, certainly the ones that want to go through spring ball with their new team uh, are making their decisions. And you, you, I've talked to some players who, who are going through this process and they commit and then the next day they show up on campus and start classes. Like it's, these things move really, really fast and they kind of have to, if you want to go through winter workouts with your new team. And so when we get past January, yeah, there probably still will be some players going in and maybe some really prominent ones, but the guys that are still out there are kind of the ones that uh, maybe they have work to do academically or, or they're going to stay in school and finish their degree. And then, you know, uh, go grad transfer here in, in, in May. Um, I, I think we'll still see, like you guys remember Joe Burrow obviously was like a very notable, like post spring transfer. I think there there still will be some guys that, you know, don't like where they're at on the depth chart, uh, at the end of spring ball or lose a battle or whatever. And there probably will still be another rush of this in, in April and May. But, um, yeah, this, this, uh, January period uh, was, <laughs> was really wild. And, and now I, we're kind of reaching that point. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, like when you you know flip through Zillow and you see a house that's been on the market for sixty days, you're kind of like, what's why are they still in there? What's what's wrong with it, right? Like it's there's the the players that have been in the portal for a couple months now. It it could be they have an academic situation or transfer credits or whatever. Um, but we there's still obviously with Caleb Williams and Jackson Dart um, and O'Shawn Mathis and Travis Dye, there's still some very premium players out there. Uh, you know as we as we tape this, Max. Before we get into some of the teams you like who have done well. You had mentioned Florida in passing with Billy Napier moving on. It seems like to me the Ragin' Cajuns have been picked apart their roster. Now, I don't know if it's just anecdotally I, I know of four recently, but it seems like there's been a bunch that have, you know, a couple have gone with him, a couple have gone to LSU, a couple, you know, it's like how much are you charting who is like not just where they're going but where they're leaving? Yeah, you're trying to keep track of all of that. And, you know, certainly, um, you know, in, in the spring or summer here, Bruce, I'm sure we'll put together kind of that top 50 or whatever of who, who are the most impactful guys out there. But that's certainly one of those trends we're seeing right now. And, and certainly like the, the Caleb Williams thing, if he goes to USC, that would be a, a – you know, a big shining example of it, but um, yeah, the, the Louisiana Florida thing has been unique because um, you know, a lot of what's fueled the portal this year, and there've been some unique ones like Wyoming or um, you know, Hawaii or Colorado, where you have some programs losing a ton of their best players. But um, a lot of the, 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 the kind of the big names in the portal are being fueled by coaching changes. And um, you're, you're seeing these players want to explore their options in the case of, you know, Louisiana, they've had, a lot of really good players uh, put their names in, you know, led by Osiris Torrance, who's who's going uh, to Florida with that staff. I think there was probably some of those guys that maybe the new Florida staff said we're not sure if they're a take for, for the SEC, and some of them I've seen end up at LSU and other places. And so um, that part's been interesting. But I think that I, – I don't know if you guys feel like that's right or wrong. I'm, I'm sure to the Louisiana – you know, Raging Cajun fans that this feels very wrong, but – um, I do kind of wonder if that's going to be a factor now and, and almost come up more in these coaching searches is can you hire someone who's, uh, you know, going to bring players uh, with them? Well, I think what you're seeing is um, not good for the group of five. Like when before, yeah. first of all, everybody conflates when we talk transfer portal. A lot of times what people are complaining about is actually 
the one you, the, the, the one time exception. You know, the transfer portal's been around for a few years. It what what it kicked it into overdrive was now everybody can transfer once and be immediately eligible. And I feel like when you still had to sit out a year, oftentimes Group of Five benefited from um, a guy who can't crack the starting lineup at Alabama goes and is a star for. Now it seems like it's working the other way. Now that you don't have, now that you can plug a hole immediately, you know a lot of the guys on your list are, are star Group of Five players who um, are getting called up to the big leagues, if you will. And I don't know how much it's still working in the other direction. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. I think that there's been a lot of, in doing this, in, in tracking this, there's been a ton of group of five players that have made my top 25 um, and have, you know, commanded big offers. It's, it's always funny to see how that works. You, you see those group of five players when they go in the portal. A lot of times these guys didn't have a very exciting recruiting process. Yeah. They only had a couple offers. And so oftentimes those are the players that are tweeting out, every single <laughs> offer they get after they go in the portal, because this is, you know, even in talking with, uh, you know, Cameron Ward, the incarnate Ward quarterback, who's going to Washington state uh, with his coach, like he had one offer in high school. And so it was to go take official visits to places um, is something you didn't really get to do as much. And, and so, especially, you know, when these, these group of five players are getting um, a lot of power five offers and a lot of demand, I, I'm sure that that probably other guys at, at that level see that, and say, well, I'm a really good player. I have starting experience, or I have one year left, or whatever. And it probably encourages them a little bit to think, maybe I should throw my name in there and, and see what happens. Now, I guess we'll see how much that actually pays off, right? Like, you, you're going to see some Power 5 schools taking a group of five players. And if those guys, like, aren't winning starting jobs or aren't even cracking the two deep, then you're kind of, you know, is that a good use of a scholarship compared to taking a high school player? Probably not. There's a good poster for that right now. Uh, is your number three guy, Isaiah Nair, a 1,000-yard receiver at Wyoming. And I feel like he is treating this like recruiting. He has committed to Tennessee, mm-hmm. but he's still taking visits to Ole Miss and USC. And, you know, that's a, and that's and a rec- it sounds like he's taking one to Texas today, too. Yeah, so, yeah, that so he's, he's, he's enjoying being recruited. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, and that, and that, from talking to coaches, they say, like, that guy's a freak. Like, that guy should be at a power five level. And there's going to be some of those players, too, that just, uh, you know, when they put their names out there, coaches are going to turn on the tape and say, whoa, this, this guy can play here for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So I feel like this really kicked in with Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams was at Eastern Washington, obviously was at an FCS. He lit up some some Pac-12 schools and Oregon took him and he played really well there then and I thought about this when you said a minute ago Max about like the guys who never got recruited and they really embrace it you know right after Vernon Adams you had another kid from the same league just his recruiting stock blew up and then all of a sudden you know he ends up at Oregon it didn't work out as well but it was like there was that and then you started even to see uh, I remembered Garrick Dieter who like tore up the the Mac at Bowling Green, and then he went to Alabama, and he had a nice career, and he's in the NFL now. I, I'm guessing he probably would have been in the NFL if he, you know, like certainly there's tons of NFL players who came from the MAC, but I think there are guys who are like, hey, I would like to try to, you know, go up against elite defensive backs every day, and maybe it's it'll be better for my development and those things. So I think it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I want to correct. I think, Stu, you had said earlier in the podcast, like Kenneth Walker was – like a notable, he wasn't really a notable at this time. You know, he was a guy that most people were not talking about, you know, leaving Wake Forest. No, I was giving you guys a compliment. You you knew how good he was. Or, or, and we, we didn't even have him high enough on our Yeah, like I, yeah. I didn't know anything about but that him. Was, but in truth, Stu, that was coming from the Michigan State staff. Mm-hmm. They When they saw him, then they were okay. They were big on him. What I, what I wanted to ask Max is, who are some guys now that you never heard of like December 1st who all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, I didn't realize that guy's such a good player. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, I think that there are some guys you, you kind of like you saw like, like Jacob Cowing from UTEP is a guy you'd catch on TV a little bit, or you'd see, you'd look at the national standings and see he's, you know, top 10 at receiving and say, Oh, that's, that's interesting. I wonder like, Oh, they found a good one there. And then he goes in the portal and has all these offers and stuff like the entire Virginia offensive line pretty much went in the transfer portal after Bronco Mendenhall quit there. Um, that was interesting to kind of see where all those guys would, would shake out. You, you know, you watch them this year and um, like their Offensive linemen are hard though. Like, yeah. because you know, like Dane, ha- Dane Brugler has his mock draft today. He has Icky from NC state. Number one, I'd be lying if I said I knew about Icky until I started working on a story talking to, to to ACC defensive coaches a year ago. Like, so it's like, right. I don't think we know, like, at least like you're saying, Max, like when it comes to TFL stats or different things, you're going to see the names at least. But when it comes to offensive linemen, I think unless they're on a big school, I think we'd all be lying if we said and, we and knew. And coaches, knew much even about with them. those guys, they're still guessing on them, right? As you've written about, Bruce, the, yeah. the evaluation part of that is, is super hard. And sometimes you're just looking for a guy that's a certain size and has a little bit of experience. I think a good example would be like Wyoming. So like, I don't know how much you guys watch Wyoming this year. I, I can't say I watch them a ton. If I watched them, I I don't know that I would have been able to identify that, oh, they've got 
Um, you know, they've got a running back that'll go to Arizona State, and they got a wide receiver that'll go to Tennessee, and they've got a, a, a DB that'll go to Oklahoma, and another DB that'll go to UCLA. Like, it's it's interesting. Some of those players they go in, and both of their quarterbacks also. Left. And that wasn't those weren't even the best player on the team. The best player is going to the Senior Bowl. Like right. he's going right. to the NFL. Yeah, yeah. So, it, or you know, same with Hawaii. Like Hawaii is, you know, and certainly they they went through their coaching change, and this was part of it. But oh, this uh, that know, exodus Hawaii's, started before the coaching change. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, they have players going to, you know, Oklahoma and, and UCLA and Cincinnati. Um, it, it's it, it's kind of like you haven't really heard those names unless you really watch them or really intensely a fan of their of, uh, you know, that team. But then when, once they go in the portal, suddenly um, everybody wants them and there's kind of this demand. And is that just because they have a positional need or is that because they turn on the tape and love it? I, I don't I don't always totally know. Um, but <laughs> it does make these guys kind of famous overnight in some cases. Guys, you're describing Wyoming. I mean, I'm listening to you rattle off these names. You would think Wyoming was the reigning Mountain West champs. They went seven and six last year. Uh, right. They lost. They got shut out by Fresno State. They lost fourteen to three to New Mexico. Um, they did close strong with a with a blowout win over the eventual uh, Mountain West champ Utah State, and they they put up fifty two on Kent State in the bowl game. But I mean. <laughs> I don't know. Did they underachieve? <laughs> They've got all these big power five guys on the team. I don't know. Um, hey, so number one, Caleb Williams. Uh, yep. I think once Jackson Dart entered the portal, we assumed he would be a Trojan by now. So what's your you know, read on, on why there hasn't been that announcement yet? Yeah, and Bruce, you could probably speak to this a little bit better, but um, it has been curious. I think we were sort of expecting that Caleb Williams would, would make that announcement last week, and um, I, it's easy to kind of look at this and, and, and kind of speculate, connect the dots here a little bit, because it is kind of a big game of musical chairs, and especially with the quarterbacks, and say, oh, what well, the guys out there, you would you would think that Caleb Williams is going to USC, and you know Ole Miss really needs one, so you'd assume Jackson Dart's going there, but that's also kind of the fun and intrigue of this stuff is maybe those guys could – could pull some surprises here maybe you know maybe Jackson Dart rather be at OU maybe Caleb Williams has found a better spot than SC I I would still assume that it's going to be USC uh I'm not quite sure why it's taken you know an extra week or or longer to to get that figured out but um you know it's it's been interesting and and you know in regular recruiting this stuff is dominated so much by like the crystal balls now with with this I think there it it is fun that there's a little bit more intrigue and, and wondering like well who else is is potentially in the in the mix there. Why, why do you think it hasn't happened yet, Bruce? I mean, I would be su- very surprised if he doesn't go to USC. So from everything I had heard was yeah. Caleb really likes Lincoln. He bought into Lincoln Riley a few years ago. Um, he obviously had success this year. But I think his dad is very involved in the process. And the biggest thing I heard is who can develop my son the best to get him very ready for the NFL. Um, so I think they are doing their due diligence again. I mean, from what I had heard, I know he obviously had visited UCLA. That's been reported. I know that was a consideration. I know, at least I was told Wisconsin was a consideration. I don't know how, how oh, wow. much the bad. Please make have... that happen. That would be so fascinating. <laughs> hey, by the way, there was once a quarterback who transferred to Wisconsin. Yes. Who could run? Who did really, really well from there? So, talking but about I don't Danny know. Danny O'Brien? Are you talking about? <laughs> no, you know that's the crazy one because he was actually really good where he was before, and then he didn't do anything when he got yeah, there. That's right. Um, Put Caleb but, uh, Williams in the Wisconsin offense. Um, with, handed it off to Braylon Allen. Braylon good, Allen, good support yeah. there. I mean, yeah. I would yeah. be very, very surprised if Caleb Williams does not announce he is going to 
to USC. I mean, from everything I heard, you know, like I think there was a little bit of turbulence, I think, at some point, um, not with Caleb, but maybe just of, you know, how Lincoln's exit unfolded. But I, I'd be very surprised if, if he does not end up a Trojan very, very soon. I mean, he already got his receipt. You know, he already uh, landed. Well, one of his receivers. One yeah. of his receivers from Oklahoma. Um, yeah. Mario Williams is going with them. Yeah. It, it's funny, too. Like, so Jackson Dart um, and his tight end, uh, Michael Trigger, taking these visits together to, to Oklahoma and Ole Miss. And, and it, it made me realize, too, like, these guys keep posting photos uh, from their photo shoots from the visits and stuff. You have to think, like, no, you know, these freshmen didn't get to go on visits either, you know, because of the pandemic last year. For So some of these young guys that, that uh, you know, kind of had a weird recruiting process last year, I'm sure they're kind of enjoying being able to actually go through it and take visits because you couldn't do that last summer. I think what the portal does too here is what people for like lose sight of is just because you commit doesn't mean you are on the team, right? So, I mean, like we're talking about, about Caleb Williams a little bit. The UCLA quarterback situation is very fascinating in this regard. DTR, who they like and had played well, but a lot of people assumed he was going to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had Dylan Gabriel commit there. He was about to start school on like the Monday, and then on the eve of that, o- Oklahoma reaches out because they get when Caleb Williams is going to leave. And obviously there's a connection with Jeff Levy's offense and, and Dylan Gabriel, and Dylan Gabriel had a ton of success at UCF. So he puts the brakes on going to UCLA and, go, and starting class the next day, and he goes to Oklahoma. Jackson Dart, who played against UCLA in that rivalry game, ends up he chose USC over UCLA. That's what it came down to. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right, is, you know, where is he going to end up? Then DTR decides, I'm staying. And you know, where does, does this mean... Does this mean Lane Kiffin gets another ex-USC quarterback? I don't know. It's just like the dominoes in high school are, are crazy when it comes to quarterbacks. I feel like they're even crazier with this because there's just a lot more uncertainty and it's happening in a much shorter sp- space of time. And, and I think when it comes to those, when it comes to the quarterback stuff, and I know that that in a lot of ways the quarterback stuff is probably the most fascinating to people about about all the portal movement. And last year's transfer portal class of QBs was was overall maybe not a very exciting group. I mean, certainly Bailey Zappi was you know extremely productive, and you know Hendon Hooker ended up being a good pickup. Jack Cohn did a good job, but this class is is different. This this one's been crazier. It's been a lot more prominent guys, a lot more proven guys, and it does seem like in some of these situations. You've, you're kind of having to bet the farm a little bit. I mean, certainly at a place like Nebraska, like they needed to get the transfer QB take right. Otherwise, you know, it, you, you're, you're going to have a rough year and potentially, um, you know, have to <laughs> lose your job there. Like I, it does seem like the the stakes there are, are really high for some of these. And even for Brent Venables taking over Oklahoma, like, you know, Caleb Williams goes in the portal and yeah, they, they put out these statements saying we want him to come back. But at the same time, you have to hedge and take somebody because you don't want to end up empty-handed here. So they take Dylan Gabriel not knowing if they can get Caleb Williams. After UCLA takes Dylan Gabriel not knowing if DTR is coming back, you have to uh, make these really critical decisions here in, in kind of a, a stressful way. One thing that I think is 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 worth, you know, kind of underscoring here, and you and I, Max, we did our impact rankings last. You know, it's kind of ongoing. But I think maybe more, maybe even more so than, than with high school kids' prospects coming in, 
I think there is a little bit of, yeah, this kid's super talented, but then, you know, you and I were both at the coaches convention for a couple of days last week, and you start hearing backstory on certain transfers, and you're like, ooh, this guy is, is amazingly talented, but he also has he also has either big academic issues and or big emotional issues or maturity issues. And there was a guy we had in our top 10 last year, mm-hmm. and I think at one point in top five. We didn't a, know what to do with him. We yeah. didn't know what to do. We knew there were issues. He never played it down at Georgia. Um, you know, by all accounts, he has he probably has first-round NFL talent. But I think there are, a, there are a handful of guys who it's like fans get really excited about. Um, and even the new staff goes, well, it's going to be this way or whatever because they just want to get the player there. And then all of a sudden, once they kind of start uh, you know, unwrapping the package, they're like, ooh, we got some issues here. And I think that happens. And I, so I'm curious because you talk to coaches too. Like how much have you kind of factored in backstory or what you've heard into your rankings about, you know, I know there's one particular guy you and I have had extensive conversations about in this class about mm-hmm. that. But like how much has that come up with a lot of these guys behind the scenes? Yeah, you, you have to ask around. You have, I mean, it's easy to just say, Oh, this guy has you know had a thousand yard season, and he's you know uh, says he's got these offers and stuff. But you actually do have to kind of like find out what the deal is. And there are some players you ask about, and th- this is why it's kind of not free agency because they're they're some guys aren't really free to move. Like they, you you they have they don't have the right situation. Like you have to be on on uh, track to you know towards your degree um, at, at at various points in your career. And so some guys are are making moves here, and they're not leaving his graduate transfers and there's a lot of grade issues or transfer credit issues and stuff. And that leads to some of these players kind of getting stuck in the portal. Um, there are, there are players that have gone in and I know a coaching staff was excited about them. And I check with in with them a week or two later and they're like, eh, the transfers, like the credits situation is kind of a mess. Don't think we can take them and stuff. And there was one player who committed this week and a coach texted me right away and was like, there's no freaking way that guy's eligible. And so there's still, yeah. there is kind of that, there is some risk taking to that too. Um, which is maybe why you take extra guys, just not being totally certain if a guy's going to be able to work out or not. But that's part of the speed dating of all this, that you, you a guy goes in there and you want to uh, follow him right away and offer him right away and get him on your campus right away and get him committed as soon as possible. But but certainly in some cases, there's a reason why the guy went in the portal, right? And, and sometimes you find that out once they actually get to your campus. Yeah, and, and you also find out, like, so it's interesting. The transfer portal has become, for some people, if too many guys transfer from one school or a guy, like, why would he be transferring? It becomes like a bit of a referendum on, hey, what's going on, on that at that program? And then you find out, well, he couldn't get into grad school, so he had to grad transfer. You know, he had to go somewhere else for grad school. Or the guy was, a you know, he was a good player, but he was kind of a locker room malcontent, and so they're not all that mm-hmm. sorry to see him go. And, of course, we're not going to – I mean, these are college players, right? These aren't NFL right. players. We're not going to – run anonymous quotes from coaches saying that guy's a, a troublemaker. You know, like, so that that's a part of this. I don't know. It's kind of like in recruiting. Well, you and, can't and look, say like, like we, yeah. Let, let's be clear. Like, there's also the money part of this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that every guy that goes in the portal is getting a sweet NIL deal to go somewhere, but some of them the are really prominent guys are. Yeah. A couple, some of the really prominent. Well, there was a pretty are. interesting window into that with Jaden Delora. The, um, no, sorry, not Jaden Delar. Cameron Ward yeah. going to Washington State. Cameron yeah. Ward goes from Incarnate Ward to, to Washington State. And one of the Washington State fan sites interviewed um, some of their distinguished former players. And they just 
described exactly how it worked. They they had ar- they were already putting together what we're kind of informally referring to as slush funds. They're illegal. They get a couple businesses to pony in some money um, for, for endorsement deals for athletes. They catch wind that this guy's interested. You know, I'm sure the coaches told them, hey, this guy's really good. We could really use him. And within like a few days, they put together like a package deal for this guy. Totally above board, as get, far as I know. And he but, gets to campus, yeah. and he gets a GMC truck as soon as he gets to campus. Yeah, that's that's kind of how this stuff. Isn't is it amazing? Now. The SMU, the stuff that led to the death penalty for SMU, is if you are above board about it and and you know check the right boxes on compliance is now allowed. So so there's definitely that. There's definitely so there's there's obviously there's some issues with all this stuff. There, there's kind of that underside of it of. Are, are players just like, you know, being like the, the, the idea was that NIL was not about inducements to, to come to your school, but obviously we know that that's where this is all heading um, in, in regular recruiting and transfer recruiting. So there's that part of it. And it are, are these best guys kind of going to the highest bidder? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I mean, some of that stuff, once they commit and get on campus and you, they announce their sponsorship deals and stuff like that. And you kind of find out, I'm, I'm sure for big guys, you know, these, these big names, that's, that's part of it. Um, and then there's, there's obviously the tampering that's going on and, and you just, you know, what's going on. You, you, and it doesn't mean that coaches are directly DMing kids or you go through other people. Um, but there's, there's a lot of that stuff going on and, and, and kind of behind the scenes and, um, it's uh, it, it does affect where the players are ending up and stuff, but I, I don't know that uh, all that stuff is uh, necessarily wrong. It just it comes with how competitive this market has become for these players. Max, can I put you on the spot? Uh, okay, yeah. let's go. Whether you say yes or no, I'm going to do it. So all right, all right. So Name names, Max. I think <laughs> no, so no, no, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> so I think if a lot of our listeners and if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a pretty serious college football fan. You know that LSU and Brian Kelly have gotten, I think it's almost a dozen like transfers. Right? Yeah, right. yeah. You know, Arkansas has landed some really good players, especially out of the SEC, as well as Hazelwood from Oklahoma. Um, who is a school or two that you're like, people don't realize they're, and again, uh, uh, South Carolina got Austin Stogner and Spencer Rattler. We know about them. But is there a school or two that you're like, they're doing a, like, because, again, you and I talked some about Michigan State. At least we talked a lot last year about in the offseason about Kenneth Walker. But it wasn't like we were talking about everything. Who's this year's about, Michigan State is what he's asking. Um, who are some schools, maybe not quite to that degree, but you think people need to really take notice of? Yeah, I think uh, I think South Carolina's done a great job. Um, there, there have been some guys that I really liked, um, some kind of like, you know, under the radar guys that they've taken that I thought those were impressive wins. Um, I, I, I like Antoine Wells and, and Devonnie Reed. I, I know, you know, Florida state's certainly one of those schools and they were last year. Florida state's one of those schools that's trying to rebuild their roster through the portal in, in, in a serious way. And I think they've gotten really good at it. Um, and, and, you know, they, they took Jared verse, um, who, you know, was one of the best defensive players in the portal this year. I think their evaluation piece is, is really good. And I, I think they've brought in some good players again. And that, that seems like that's going to be a really important deal for them as they try to fix that team, much like Mel Tucker, you know, the approach he took at Michigan state. Um, you mentioned Arkansas, Bruce. I think that was a good one. Ole Miss does a good job. I think overall when it comes to recruiting the portal, um, and they were able to bring in some players for the 21 season that I think helped them a lot. And I, I think they're, they're certainly, if they can get Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg, that's going to be a huge deal, but they've already picked up some, some good players. Um, I, I think that this is, so I, I, I want to ask you guys, do you think that's just going to be the norm or is this just kind of a phase that we're going through here? 
I think it's the total the norm because you're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. I think what is going to be harder now, right before we did this podcast, I was talking to an offensive coordinator somewhere who was the kind of, I don't say exasperated, but just kind of like talked about how intense this all is. He was like, I'm scrambling. He goes, and then I got to talk to this 2024 quarterback. And there's just a lot of stuff that I think coaches, and I don't think they're saying like, what was me? But I think the, the new norm is here. And I think they are they are navigating all of the roster management issues, right? And so I think what's really an interesting window into this, uh, look at Ohio State, their quarterback room, especially. And I know there's other positions, obviously, but quarterback, you really can only play one. So they had C.J. Stroud, who they were high on, and two other guys who, who were very highly tatted when they came there. And then all of a sudden the NIL wins blow up and they, and they pluck they – pluck, uh, you know, a, a highly, highly touted quarterback out of Texas to leave a year early, basically leaves his high school program behind, doesn't play a down, and then ends up going he had a back. a couple to, handoffs. A couple good handoffs. Yeah, okay, doesn't throw a pass. Yeah. Then ends up going, you know, transferring to Texas where, you know, he was looking at before all this stuff blew up. And then they end up getting a commitment from Devin Brown who – was kind of an under the radar guy till he blew up at the elite 11 was committed to USC. And then he ends up, you know, obviously there's a coaching change at USC and he ends up now at, at Ohio state. It's just wild. The, like the, the vacuum that that happens in how quickly. And I, I think we're just going to see more and more of it. Well, okay, Bruce, let, let's put it this way. You, I, I think that, um, you know, LSU personal personnel incredibly well from, from your years of, of covering them. Right. So, this is probably just a one-time thing for LSU, right? This I don't really know that LSU is a school that should be taking 10 players a year out of the portal. And I talked to a lot of coaches that say they used to might maybe say we're going to save 3, 4, 5 spots and now they say we're going to save 8 to 10. Um, and there definitely are a lot of programs that kind of look at the landscape and say this is how we should should, you know, roster build going forward. I don't think LSU should be one of them. No, but I think what ha- LSU had two things happened with LSU. One, they were going to go heavy into the portal on the offensive line room you know no matter who was the head coach there I think the parts where like you had guys leave right so they knew a coaching change was coming you had guys who were leaving so I think you had you had a bunch who were now LSU's always had a bunch of three and outs and really good players leave for the NFL no one's surprised that Stingley's left uh Eli Ricks he ended up transferring to Alabama that was you know he obviously he'd known Ogeron since he was a little kid in Southern California but then there was like a bunch of others that, you know, you see receivers leave. Mickey Joseph was on that staff. I think one of them, you know, ended up transferring to, to Nebraska to Trey go Palmer. play for yeah. him. Yeah, but I I think there's certain parts of there where it's like, okay, you have, you know, D lineman. They got a good D lineman, but it was like that's not a room that was like had, you know, a glaring need. Defensive back. Now they had guys transfer. I mean, you mentioned, like, I think Arkansas got a great pickup in Dwight McLaughlin. Yeah. I know how good the LSU guys thought he is. So, you know, between the DB room, which got depleted by guys leaving early for the NFL or transferring, and then you have a really depleted O-line room. And I think they probably need to take, a like, you know, two or three more O-linemen because... They were just, their numbers were not going to be good because you had a bunch of guys who decided to stay for the extra year and they missed on a lot of guys. And plus, they, this is, you know, you also had an O-line 
turnover, like the one guy who stayed on the staff um, is the O-line coach. But he only got there right before the spring. So I think there's a bunch of stuff that kind of was circumstantial there with a new coach. And I think I think what you're going to see is common, though, is new coaches are going to be much more active in the portal. And I think I think that's a big factor, too. I, I think that, yeah, the, you, we're seeing that with USC right now, uh, certainly, too. And I, I probably wouldn't necessarily be their approach going forward, but – you look at the way it all lays out. But USC was very active in the portal last year. It's true. It's true. Helton was as well. That That's certainly true. But the way that when you're taking over a job now, um, as much as some people are trying to get a head start on these things, so many players are just signed and, and done at the early signing period now. So when you go into January, you're working with a much smaller pool of talent. And in a lot of ways, yeah, you're going to be competitive for the guys that are out there. But maybe it does make sense to take transfers, especially if, the, if you have position to need and maybe you need a one-year guy or whatever, but maybe this is going to be for these new staffs uh, who, I mean, it's like Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley or those guys have, have seen more than a workout or two of their team. They don't really know what they need, but you look at the scholarship numbers and figure we've got to get some guys in here, get get some bodies. And so uh, it does seem like going to the portal uh, for these new staffs is, is kind of uh, the easy solution now compared to, uh, trying to be, you know, trying to chase guys, uh, you know, to that February uh, signing day. I still think that a lot of this stuff is going to normalize itself. Where it's very new, the novelty of being able to transfer and play right away is still. It, you just got legalized this past summer, and so there's a lot of success stories. But there's also going to be a lot of guys who oh, saw that their friend got a good offer, so they entered the portal, and oh, turned out that they didn't find a better destination. That could affect that side of it. And then the coaches are going to have to trial and error, figure out like what the right mix is. You know, if you go too heavy on transfers and too many of them don't pan out, now you're like, well, you know, now we now we didn't solve that hole and we lost our chance to bring in some more high school kids. So that could normalize itself a little bit. But also to your guys' point about new coaches, um, it kind of extends into the second year. I'm looking at Auburn, right? Brian Harson gets in there. In his first season, he goes six and six, and they've had since the end of this regular season twenty players either transfer out or transfer in, which is a combination of, you know, you can tell like some of these guys probably didn't like the new staff, and so now they're, for instance, uh, they've got a, a wide receiver who's going to UCF right to go play for Gus Malzahn again, and then Brian Harson's looking at his roster, going, this guy stinks, this guy stinks, this guy stinks. We need help. Um, and he maybe didn't have a chance to really assess that until he's actually gone through a full season with it. So, yeah, what Brian Kelly's doing right now, he might be doing that again next spring once he gets a better sense of his roster. Well, what I what I think is kind of an interesting point towards what you're saying, Stu, is I remember one thing that, that I always heard about from other coaches about Bill Snyder was he had an incredibly high batting average on junior college transfers where – a lot of coaches I know are like, you're lucky if you can be 50-50 on that. You know, and we're not talking about stars. We're talking about just guys who are productive Charlie Weiss destroyed the Kansas football program over bad <laughs> Well, that's, that's a right. little bit what I was thinking was you get into this, into this frame of all of a sudden now you're taking one-offs or maybe they're guys who have a couple years of eligibility. But some of these guys are one year. Like I forgot which of the linemen LSU's taken is, is a good FCS player. I think he only has one year left. I think is that right, Max? Um, um, drawing a blank here. Which one are we talking about? It's the guy from Tennessee State. 
Oh yeah, yeah. That he's a guy who started forty games there, and is, yes. he's a one year transfer. So yeah. you either have guys who you're, you know, they're going to be filling the gap for one year, or you may end up with like, you know, a bunch where it's like, hey, you know, we're going to try it with this guy, but then that's a roster spot you you basically have, and it's like you're not going to have as much opportunity to develop the guys behind them if this is what you're playing. So it's an interesting, and this isn't unique to LSU. This is, I think. I think this is something that a lot of coaches are going to have to be kind of sorting out what the risk reward of taking yeah. somebody in for one year and then, okay, is it worth it? You know, obviously in the case of this player we're talking about, you know, I've heard he's pretty, he's, he's a bright guy who's got a lot of experience and he's going to be there for the spring. There'll be some of those that, you know, we were talking about before where they will be guys post spring who will have to learn a system on the fly and their new teammates and everything else. And, I think those are the ones where it's like, man, how depleted is our room? Do we need another healthy body back here? I, now, so you, you may, I, I generally agree with you that I think this will normalize a little bit. I do think you're right, Bruce, that coaches will, will try to strike that that balance over time. There may be some coaches just that just brand themselves as we're, we're a portal school and we, we this is how we build and this is and I'll be fascinated to see can you be consistently successful doing that um, and, and build up the infrastructure to, to be very good at that. I do think that one thing that's feeding all this. So if you'd asked me last, uh, you know, in, in August of 2020, is the eligibility freeze a good thing? I'd say, yeah, this is fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that with this really uncertain season we're about to go through in 2020, I'm glad that we're giving this benefit to players that this year won't count towards their eligibility um, because we didn't know if we could get through a season. And, and in some some leagues, they got through half a season, right, or, or you know, delayed start or whatever. But, uh, you know, in, in the moment, that felt like the right thing to do, and I think it was. What, what it is leading to, though, is that that applied to every player, and um, these schools still have to get back to 85. And so I think for the next few years, we are going to see the effect of that in terms of seniors who have that extra year going into the portal and going to play somewhere else for one more year because they just they want to take advantage of it. And even if they played their entire 2020 season, it doesn't matter. They still get that extra year. And so we are going to have these guys who are five- and six-year starters or whatever, and we I think we are going to have this for the next few years that there's going to be – you know more of these kind of players going into the portal, and uh, the, I'm sure the competition for them will be uh, pretty intense. You're going to have more career arcs like like that of Hunter Johnson, the uh, former. He went from Clemson, got beat out by Trevor Lawrence, transfers to Northwestern. Some started a few games. Did wasn't the greatest quarterback in Northwestern history by any means, and now he's using his COVID year to transfer back to Clemson to, I assume, kind of start transitioning into coaching because uh, he's not going to win the Clemson starting quarterback job. So yeah, some of these guys career journeys over the next few years are going to be wild. Absolutely. We could talk about this topic all day and, and, and it's certainly not a one-time topic either. I mean, this will be, are you booting, be are you booting Max off the show? Is this what you're doing? We got to get some mailbag questions, Bruce. We can't, can't desert the listeners. They Max, deserve to have their mailbag questions. I want to keep you on. Just well, let, g- just let guys, you know. I just want to say, and, and it, it's it's really been an honor to be on this podcast. You guys haven't invited me to be on here since 2018, and wow. uh, I don't oh, wow. know. He's keeping score. <laughs> well, I just assumed I got banned. I, I didn't know what I did on the last episode uh, that I was on <laughs> that led you guys to say like, Oof, "This guy can't can't hang at this that's level crazy. of podcasting." I, that's by no but means intentional. It's no, it's I I don't know. level with him, Stu. You got to tell him what he. did. I don't know how him. I got banned, and I, Stu, Bruce, I assume him. you were the one that talked Stu into un, unbanning me. And I, I can't believe we that. didn't have you on during the expansion uh, Big Twelve realignment craziness. 
I think you guys at some point just decided, you know, he's more of an Andy Staples pod kind of guy. He, he can't really hang at this level, you know, and that's that's Ari. I understand. There's you know, that's how it's, radio works. It's probably Ari's, how podcasts Ari's work Andy's too. guy. I don't think Max, you don't see it, but over Stu's shoulder <laughs> is his own whiteboard. Your face is on there. It just says the fish of fillet guy. It's like these are like there's a divided line. There's tears. This has been I, an, I get it. There's tears. This has been an interesting moment. I gotta be more careful. What else have you been tracking, Max? <laughs> what no, what else just, do you have up on your whiteboard? I, I think it was a podcast about I think we were trying to like it was like a summer one. We were talking about like Heisman favorites or something like that. And maybe if I had picked the right one that year, I think it was the year Kyler one. It's been that long. Um, maybe if I had picked the right one then, then I would have been invited back. So I, I apologize for, for failing failing you guys. Before. I'm actually surprised it was so recent. I actually thought it was when <laughs> we were talking about – I thought Stu I thought Stu purged you back when we were asking about, like, do you think Hypel can win a Heisman for OU? So I thought it's been that <laughs> long. Max was like eight years old then. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that goes that far. Uh, ten, Stu. Belldozer maybe, okay. Stu. How about that? <laughs> No, seriously, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to, uh, to you know, be redeemed here. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in writing now. So May 1st, by the way, we didn't mention this, May 1st is the key date. That If you want to play right away by next year, you got to be in the portal by May 1st. So I have a feeling the week leading up to May 1st is going to be madness. So we'll have you back then. Wow, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. Don't hold your breath, Max. He's going to be bad-mouthing you as soon as you, that little window pops off. Well, that, this was the risk I took in, in bringing it up. I thought it could get me banned again, but you know, I I, I did want to at least uh, express my appreciation. There's only Bruce. Have we ever actually banned anybody from the podcast? Uh, I haven't. Go ahead. You you haven't. You <laughs> no, I haven't. There's a couple. You uh, not officially. There's a couple that, you, that I brought up that you said no way. Um, but you know, this is uh, this was just an oversight. That's okay. All right, Max. Thanks so much, and uh, and and athletic subscribers or wannabe subscribers, you can keep. There's no better way to keep up on all the transfer portal movement with our tracker that Max is updating every day. So, thanks, Max. Thanks, guys. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Bruce, as always, the listeners should send their emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Now that it's the offseason, I believe we will be leaning in heavily to your questions for content to keep us going through the offseason. The first one comes from Kevin M. in Westland, Oregon. Is Oregon choosing Dan Lanning the highest risk-reward hiring of this cycle, and why is the answer yes? 
Uh, it's an interesting question because obviously you have a coordinator who just come off leading, helping Georgia win a national title. Um, I think why I would think risk reward, the thing that was curious to me about Dan Lanning getting the job is just the last two guys that Oregon has hired have no real connections to that area. Both those, both Willie Taggart and, and Mario Cristobal were, were Florida guys. Um, Dan Lanning's definitely not from the West Coast. Now he spent a little time there at ASU, but so you wonder if things go pretty well for him, you know, does he get lured away for another job? Because that's what's happened with the last two. I mean, that's if it goes well. So um, on that standpoint, it was a little bit of a head scratcher for me that they would hire somebody who didn't have more of a connection to the West Coast or to the program. I was wondering if by risk he meant some of the hires he's made on his staff um, who have previous NCAA issues in their past. Does he mean by risk, um, risk of the program going on probation? Uh, I didn't think he meant that way, but, uh, you know, look, at this point I feel like the NCAA... Just uh, toothless? Yeah, I, I honestly, and I... I'd be surprised if like that would be a fear or a consideration for for a university to you know who gets hired on whose staff. The guys I'm referring to, Tosh Lupoy, was investigated by the NCAA when he was at Washington. Obviously, he went on to Alabama, and Adrian Clem actually got um, slapped on the wrist by the NCAA when he was at UCLA. Um, but I think the, the the reward that he would be referring to is that Dan Lanning was the coordinator of the most dominant defense college football has seen in a long, long time. Um, some of the stats around that defense are just absolutely insane. They gave up 13 touchdowns in 15 games, four of which came in, in one game. So nine touchdowns in the other 14 games. And a lot of those were in garbage time. So obviously the, the hope here is that he's going to um, turn Oregon into a defensive juggernaut like that. Now, I the the only uh, problem I would say is, do we really know how much of that was Dan Lanning and how much of it was Kirby Smart? Or how much was that they had a ridiculous amount of talent there in the front seven? Yes, they had a ridiculous amount of talent in the front seven. And again, I, I, Rob Mullins hasn't really come out and said this, the AD at Oregon, but I mean, they got a taste of that with Mario Cristobal. They got a taste of, instead of the Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich kind of, overachieving, if you will, relative to recruiting rankings. Um, Mario brought in top 10 classes, five-star guys, the Kayvon Thibodeaux of the world, and all, you know, due to, or, or given the way Georgia recruited when Lanning was there, you know, I think the hope is that he will continue that, if not get even better uh, in terms of bringing in high-end talent. Let me ask you a question. Give me, you know, the, the, the two biggest names in the in this hiring cycle were Lincoln Riley going to USC, Brian Kelly going to Notre Dame. Give me a higher. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Give me a higher, and then we can you know maybe take Billy Napier out of Florida on this. Give me a higher that maybe is not one of those three because I know we we like the Billy Napier hire both. Um, that you think, man, I think that's a hire that was is a really good fit and probably people haven't talked enough about. And a hire, while you're looking at the list, and a hire that you're very intrigued how it goes. Gosh, just looking at this list, you realize just how many coaching changes there were this year. A lot. 
Um, I think Kalen DeBoer could do well at Washington. Um, that is the higher I would say. That wasn't the one I was going to say is the one that I think will, was a home, the big home run. Well, hire, I would actually say, I'm as I'm looking at this about. list, there are a lot I am very curious about. There are a lot of, for instance, you know, Texas Tech went out and got Joey McGuire. I think that was one of the first ones, if not the first one. And he's not exactly a big name, um, but they clearly saw something there where they went out and got that done. Sonny Dykes succeeding Gary Patterson at TCU. By the way, did you see the pictures from the basketball Texas basketball game last night? Yes, I did. It's uh... Gary Patterson, on a level of 1 to 10, how much would you say Gary Patterson hated Texas when he was at TCU? 98. Um, I yeah, saw, so we saw Gary Patterson in San Antonio at the convention, talked to him for a while the first night I was there. And um, this is going to be an interesting fit with him as a special assistant to the head coach. So for people who aren't aware of what we're talking about, Gary Patterson has joined the support staff, if you will, at Texas. And he, he was at the, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. He was at the Texas, he was at the Texas basketball game on Tuesday night, and there are pictures of him talking to Chris Del Conte. His old boss. Who used to be his boss at TCU, now his boss again at Texas, and he's wearing the the Longhorn uh, swag. And it's <laughs> so crazy to see. I know sometimes, again, he couldn't have hated them more. Um, he took such glee in beating them, and now he is working with Sark at Texas. It should be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of these names. Give me I mean, one hire that Jim you really Mora like. Early in the off season, or not early, early in his his tenure at UConn. Give me one. Give me one hire that I really like, and it can't be. You said it can't be uh, Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, or Billy Napier. Correct. Right. Yes, correct. I'm sorry. Those were the ground rules. Um, I do. I do really like Cristobal. Um, I feel like. After all of the, you know, Miami has cycled through coach after coach after coach looking for the right fit. And I, nobody is more Miami than Mario Cristobal, South Florida than Mario Cristobal. And um, while they didn't, you know, they didn't ultimately take that fi- that next step up the rung and make the playoff, they did have a lot of success the last few years at Oregon. So can is he the guy that can finally get, if he can't get them back to being the U, I don't know who can. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I would say it is Joe Moorhead at Akron. It's not far from where he's from in Pittsburgh. I think you know, he did extremely well at Fordham. Did okay, but not good enough at Mississippi State, and it was just a bad fit. But I think he will do exceptionally well there. So that would be my. I think he will too. But are you telling me you're gonna? Are you gonna be a, a close? You been watching a lot of Akron games this coming season? I will because they're on the weekend. They're on the weekdays, and they're at odd oh, times. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I watched probably more Mac than I watched. Look, I watched a bunch of, of Mountain West because it would be on Friday nights on like CBS Sports Network. You know, so. I did watch a bit. I mean, they also had a lot of um, late night, Saturday night games opposite the Pac-12 after dark. Yeah. Thanks to your network. Uh, Walter from L.A. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Love the pod. Thank you. Looking back on the past season, who was the best team with the worst record? There's one really obvious answer to this, and I'm wondering if you're gonna if you're gonna go there. The best team with the with the worst record. Penn State was seven and six. That's not a great record. It's not a great record, but do you actually think they were a really good team? Um, considering where they were and then they were 
you know, they were beating Iowa, then the quarterback gets hurt, and then it's just kind of... I, I don't think they were a top-five team, but I think they could have been a top-15 team. Um, you know, Texas A&M is sitting there. They were 25th in the in the whatever, in the eight, in the coaches' poll. They were 8-4. and four. They beat Alabama, but they were unranked in the other poll. They're going to have a ton of draft picks, but they had shaky quarterback play. Um, and they lost to LSU to, to go, you know, to go eight and four, and they didn't play. They didn't get to play in a bowl game. I would, I would say it's. I think I would say it would, I would go with them, Texas A and M. Okay, um, and there's a good re- that's a good answer, but they're not. They weren't bad. Nebraska went three and nine. They won one Big Ten game, and that was against Northwestern, who themselves won one Big Ten game. On the surface. That would be like, gosh, that must have been a terrible team. But because they lost so many close games, they actually, uh, in Bill Connolly's final SP rankings, they were 37th in the country. They were a top 40 team. They went 3-9. and nine. In fact, they finished but one what spot were they based, 10 and 4 Oregon. What were they based as a top 40 team on? On the way they played. I know, but like, the I mean. rankings. S&P doesn't, doesn't measure wins and losses. It measures how you performed over the course of the game. And they had a lot of games where they played well enough to win and then found a way to blow it at the end. Against some really good teams, by the way. You know, Michigan, who ends up winning the Big Ten and going to the playoff. That was a loss on a two-point conversion. Um, I don't think you were going to look back at this, this 2021 Nebraska team and find out there was a, sh- a ton of like NFL talent on it, though. Probably not. Uh, no, I wouldn't think so. And I'm not saying that they, oh, if they cut a couple breaks, they would have been nine and three by any means. But they lost nine games. And here were some of the scores 30 to 22 to Illinois, 23 16 to Oklahoma, who ended up winning 11 games, 23 20 in overtime to Michigan State, who won 11 games, 32 29 to Michigan. That's, by the way, I mixed it up. Michigan State was the two point conversion game. Uh, Michigan, Big Ten champion Michigan, 32-29. to 29. Um, Iowa, last game of the season, they really should have won that game. Lost 28-21, lost by a touchdown to Wisconsin. So they were, they, they were a competitive team. They did not have a single blowout loss, but they did lose nine games. So that, that's why that's my answer to that question. All right, Stu, next question from Josh Fiery in Elk City, Oklahoma. Hey, guys, love the podcast. I am an OU fan and honestly feel like we are in a better place to succeed after Lincoln Riley's departure than before his departure. We are slowly reg- we were slowly regressing every year under Riley, and I feel like Brent Venables is going to bring back physical football. I don't think the offense will regress much under Jeff Lebby. Am I crazy to feel we are better off in the long run? Well, I wouldn't say crazy. It's certainly possible, but that does feel like one of those things you say to yourself when you you know things seem to be going really poorly, and you want to believe that they're not going as poorly as everybody's making it seem. I mean, at the end of the day, Lincoln Riley took you to three playoffs, um, produced Heisman winning quarterbacks, number one draft pick quarterbacks. This is not an easy guy to replace. Now you're bringing in a guy in Brent Venables who you have familiarity with who had a tremendous run as Clemson's defensive coordinator, I do think he'll bring back physical football. I do think Oklahoma, for the first time in ages, will have a defense they can feel proud of. Um, but but are you going to consistently win 10, 11 games every year like you were under Lincoln Riley? Probably not. Um, 
And, and although it's hard to, you know, they're going to go to the SEC and it's going to be harder no matter who the coach was. So to say they were regressing under Lincoln Riley, yes, they didn't make the playoff the last two years. But they went 11-2 and two last year. They didn't fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Stu. I was going to make the point about the SEC as well, that they're going into it, so it's going to be a little tougher to grade. Like, it's it's going to be more of an uphill climb for Brent Venables in a couple of years because it's just a much tougher league he's going into. And I think maybe they're better positioned with Brent Venables and his approach to go into it than they might have been with Lincoln Riley. It's not like a Lincoln Riley, yes, he came from the air raid tree, but he's not what Mike does. I mean, he's... You know, he's very different in terms of the emphasis on the run game is, is much more uh, is much more focus of what they want to do. So I don't know. I, I think Venables has put together a good staff. Everything I've heard there has been very positive in it. I think ultimately it's going to be how much better can he recruit on defense than what, what they did in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Because that was an issue. They just did not, they were not good enough in the back end to hold up. And they weren't big enough. They weren't good enough. Now, they have some of those guys, but now they need more of them. And I think if he can upgrade that aspect of it, then he has a chance. But, the but man, like the bar is going to be high because they, were, they weren't just so good, like you said, Stu, at, at like developing quarterbacks. They've had some elite receivers tear up the Big 12. And guys who've gone on to the, gone on to the NFL and been stars. I mean, C.D. Lamb, Mark Andrews, you've got a lot of playmakers who've – who've come through there in recent years. And so you got to sustain that. What'll be interesting, and this is kind of a little bit in the weeds, but like one of the knocks on as prolific as the system that Jeff Levy's coming from is, you know, some of the receivers who've come from that system have really underwhelmed when they've, you know, gone on to the NFL. It's not to say that the system doesn't work, you know, isn't effective in college, but I think that will be something to keep an eye on because, you know, is that going to be something that will get recruited against them, right? I mean, I think that's yeah. that's a, a point that's out there in coaching circles. You know, one of the it was kind of going around at the national title game, but, you know, we thought last summer for sure, there's no way Oklahoma and Texas are going to stay in the Big 12 for another four years. And what's starting to become apparent is at least OU ha- is not looking to get out early. They're content to wait till 2025. They don't want to pay all that money. And I, and I don't know if this is part of the reasoning or not, but this does give you a nice opportunity, Brent Venables, a nice opportunity to ramp up, to go through several recruiting cycles of possibly transforming the roster to fit better in the SEC. Because at the end of the day, he had some really good teams that ran through the Big 12 and then got to the playoff and got killed by an LSU, right? So a more physical team with certainly better players in the defensive front. You've got Jeff Levy, who has shown you can run a, you know, really um, wide open offense in the SEC. Yeah, maybe he's the guy more so than Lincoln Riley to turn them into more of an SEC team um, or SEC ready team. But man, that is a, those are some tough, that is a tough act to follow. Let's put it that way. Michael Donlin says, with Deion Sanders pulling such high-level talent to Jackson State, how long before, and I assume he means FBS schools, start courting him? Which schools do you think would be interested in? Do you think he would be interested? Uh, I think he would be interested in. And the one that will be very interesting to keep an eye on, and I, look, I think there were some rumblings about Mike Norvell's uh, tenure at Florida State. He's gone heavy in the portal. He's done pretty well in the portal, but 
he's got to he's got to win soon, right? And I think, you know, he hasn't been in a bowl game yet. They he's eight and thirteen in two years. He had a really rough start to twenty twenty one. Dion has been open about his intrigue and the situation there in Tallahassee. I think they'll keep winning. You know, if like he goes from three wins to five wins and gets them to seven or eight, I think that would be encouraging enough to Florida State. But if he has another year where they don't go to a bowl game, I think that would be very hard for them to be like, okay, we're going to ride it out. Especially if Dion, look, Dion was like the FCS coach of the year. Um, if he keeps winning and keeps getting big recruits, I could see there being a lot of push. The 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 right now, or at least for the first you know half of Dion's relatively brief tenure, it, you know, in in uh, FCS has really come from people he knows in NFL circles talking about like why people are making a mistake by not hiring Dion, and a lot of them have been you know like what they've said. Dion's been a lot better than most people who were skeptical have thought. I think if he keeps doing that and Florida State doesn't get it going soon, I think that would be a very um, there'll be a lot of a lot of pressure put on Florida State to go. You guys need to hire bring Dion home. But what happened on signing day of him not just pulling you know pulling the number one recruit in the country would have been a big deal no matter who the guy was, but the fact that he was a Florida State commit was kind of like an audition to for that Florida State job. And I agree, Mike Norvell's gonna be under tremendous pressure. Because not only will there be calls for his job, there will be calls for a very specific candidate to replace him. And, and I have no doubt there will be a strong push for Dion um, if, if that situation plays out. But I also don't think Dion, we should mention, has interviewed for a few FBS jobs, including TCU. So he's already on some AD's radars. At least he was already on some AD's radars even before that signing day you know, massive headline that I'm sure is going to make even more schools take him seriously. The last one from Michael Galvin in Agora Hills, California, with the news coming out about Todd Graham, who was who resigned from Hawaii uh, late last week after um, just nonstop. I feel like over the last month, um, f- players, former players, coming out and alleging mistreatment. How did this guy have top level jobs to begin with? It sounds like it was an open secret in the coaching world. How did this get past all of his ADs, including the current one? Well, as it relates to the current one at Hawaii, from everything I've heard, there's just a a staggering amount of incompetence uh, in that athletic program. And really, just it has very limited resources. Todd Graham, for all his faults, and we're going to get into some of them in a minute, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, at least he won some games, you know, on the field. I think the aspect of him being in control, he was such a bad fit in terms of culturally out there. You hear a lot of stories about how, and a lot came out on that Friday night three-hour meeting, but there's a lot of other stuff that hasn't come out about, and this has been, like I remember when he got to ASU, and I felt like I got a lot of, you know, at least on social media, blowback from fans because I was pretty critical because all the people I've heard from who've either coached with him or played for him or worked around him who the only other coach that I know of in major college football over the last decade who has as close to a bad reputation amongst his peers as Todd Graham does is Bobby Petrino it's like those two 
and there's like a gulf between. I'm not saying like it's pretty rare where you won't find other coaches to be to have some something negative to say about somebody in the business, but like the depth of the disdain for Todd Graham and about what they think of him, like Petrino is the only one I've heard who kind of gets you know is is into that space and Petrino. You know, he's won a lot more games. So I think that's why he ended up getting some probably better jobs and still was getting jobs. But it's, you know, you talk to any, not anyone, you talk to a lot of people who've worked with him and it is next level venom you get. Yeah, and it's not just coaches. It's people who've covered him, uh, TV people. Like I've never, there's rarely anybody that just like has so many, so many people that come into contact with him are just totally turned off now. So to me, his, to his question, that speaks to how little vetting the Hawaii AD must have done. Because it, sh- it, pro- it should not have taken many phone calls. I'm sure Todd Graham has friends and, and people in the profession he's worked with who's, who vouch for him. But it, it doesn't seem to me it would have taken many phone calls to find people who are like, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. And here's why. Um, I think he probably got caught up in oh this guy was a pac 12 head coach by the way people forget this but asu fans were not pleased when they fired him i think you know that kind of went away once they got herm edwards but they felt like he was doing a good job um so but to your point about fit i mean i've spent a lot of time in hawaii we go every year and uh you know you get a window into this also through even if you've never been to hawaii if you Think of Marcus Mariota or some of the other players that have come from there. The people on that uh, in Hawaii are the nicest, most welcoming people, and I just can't think of <laughs> better, worse fit in terms of personality than for him to go in and coach a bunch of guys in Hawaii. And wow, I mean, the pylon. They had a hearing. They had a state senate hearing uh, about this guy. That's how troubling it was to people. Yeah. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we'll keep coming back at you every week this offseason. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.